2022 is the year where asset managers need to become quite precise about what they're doing for ESG. I think organisations that don't do that are likely to fall foul of the regulator, possibly face some significant backlash in due course. So, so that that for me is is, is 2022 is going to be for ESG. It's less talking and more precision. At least for the for the next 12 months, I would see consolidation continuing to be a major factor. Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Valkuvan, your regular host, and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. Today's episode is part of a short series in which we talk about what the year ahead will bring to the key sector in the financial services industry. To discuss the key themes in investment management this year, I have invited David Mori, who is the Head of Investment Management at Grant Thornton and leads the practice. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the conversation. Hi, David, and welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Irina. Great to have you. An interesting year ahead, probably. We are already over a month into 2022, and I'm sure many had hopes that it will be a better year. But so far, it is proving yet another quite challenging year, given the broader economic climate. In these circumstances, what do you see would be the main topics that are going to keep busy the investment management industry? Uh, yes, I think you're absolutely right about that. 2021 was um, a very challenging year, not least for regulatory uh, change. 2022 looks like it's going to be very challenging, not least for the wider economic climate. Um, and I think that leads to uh, several areas that investment managers are going to need to to focus on heavily. Uh, now, we all had already seen um, massive market consolidation, and I think uh, the prospect of potentially uh, some equity markets going into reverse and that, that the pressure that would put on um, the profitability of, of uh, asset managers is only, in my view, likely to make the consolidation trend an even more powerful one in 2022. Um, I think there's closely linked to that the what we've seen in terms of fee compression and some aggressive moves from some managers and increasingly investment advisors around um, the level of fees they're charging. I think uh, also on my list of headlines, ESG very much. I think 2022 will be the year when we move from you know do anything on ESG, say anything on ESG to um, needing to be quite precise about what ESG means for an asset manager um, and what their what their statements uh, actually indicate in practice. And I, I imagine we'll probably talk about that a little bit more um, as we go through this podcast. And I suppose the, the, the fourth thing on my list, I mean, I could go, I could go potentially quite a long list, but the, 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 the fourth thing on, on my list uh, would be we're entering the first year of um, the investment firm Prudential rules being live, obviously change the Prudential requirements for every single asset manager. Um, and, and whilst there, there, there's a certain degree of compliance that was achieved on the 1st of January, um, quite a few of the effects of those new rules will only be felt as we move through 2022. So, so if, it, if I was going to pick up a few things, uh, Irina, it would be those uh, headlines. Sounds already quite quite a few things, as you say, on the plate of poor investment managers. <laughs> if we if we try to be more empathetic with them, 
you, you did mention two big regulatory kind of driven changes as, as a start. Um, obviously, IFPI, as I said, the first year that we are into that and, and ESG, which is a topic close to my heart. But thinking from a regulatory point of view, probably what, what challenges do you envisage organisations will most likely face in implementing these um, these particular regimes, if you like? Yeah, so on our IFPR, uh, the prudential rules, I think it's probably the easiest one to answer in the sense that it's, um, um, you know, the, the, the rules are written, they're quite well defined, um, but they are going to necessitate quite a lot of effort in 2022 to comply with the first you know, self-assessment, essentially, the ICAR process, as the, as the rules call it, will need to be conducted by every manager during 2022. Um, uh, self-assessment to set a level of capital, self-assessment to set a level of liquidity. And, and I have to say, uh, besides the, the, the sheer effort level involved in doing that for the first time, which I don't think is going to be insignificant at all, uh, I am uh, increasingly of the view that um, the liquidity exercise, which is, which is to summarise, you know, <laughs> much more than I should do, uh, is, is the biggest new thing within uh, the prudential rules, the sense that you, you need to not only assess, but also hold at all times cash liquid resources um to meet the needs of uh, uh, the forecast needs of the business um that as a new regulatory development um I, I think will start to bite quite a few organizations as they start to make that assessment and start to realize what it might mean in cash terms and how they might need to change their balance sheet accordingly so it's quite a, a narrow focused question that needs a narrow focused answer but i projecting that in some cases asset managers won't like that answer very much and it will be uh, a challenge. Um, ESG, I think, is a much bigger ask. I'm arguing so it's a much bigger, you know, where the regulator has, is at, um, both here and in Europe, you know, they're seeking better clarity around definitions. Um, I think, frankly, doing the right thing in, 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 in taking that approach. Um, and I think 2022, I saw some of this in, the second half of 2021, but 2022 is the year where asset managers need to become quite precise about what they're doing for ESG. Uh, you know, we we have managers that will talk about ESG and what they mean is, you know, there's a, there's a screen in their investment process if they actually had any you know, convicted criminals within environmental. And equally, we have ESG where, you know, managers are essentially committing themselves to only invest in businesses which you know, uh, make a, a strong positive contribution to to the environment and, and that can be all housed under the same banner and presented frankly in many cases in the same way to the market to, to investors um, and so uh, and, and there's clearly been a rush you know every every manager has been at pains to point out just how you know sensitive their investment processes and how committed they are to ESG um, 2022, I think, is, is where we, we really start to get into being um, precise about what you do, uh, being clear, differentiating to the market, being differentiating to the to the regulator. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I, some of the, some of the some of the work we're seeing investment managers do is is actually down to the level of a stock take, trying to understand what exactly it is that they are doing about quotes air quotes ESG in their different uh, in their different uh, parts of their investment range. Um, so that that need to get a grip of what you're doing around ESG and to make sure um, you are describing it precisely. I think organisations that don't do that are likely to fall foul of the regulator, possibly 
face some significant backlash in due course. So, so that that for me is 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 what 2022 is going to be for ESG. It's less talking and more precision. Yeah, sounds the first step for them would be to define where they sit on the spectrum between simply providing the disclosures the regulators are asking for versus defining their strategy in terms of are we going to do responsible investments? Are we going to do impact investing? And and where where do you wanna where do you wanna be? And it sounds sounds almost like a self um, discovery exercise, if you like, yes. for those firms. That's an excellent and excellent way to describe it. I, th I think some firms have got to do that. Um, I think the, the the regulators are asking some good questions actually, amounting to, you know, fund manager A, you 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 talk very heavily in your marketing materials about ESG. Um, um, but you, you don't, uh, you don't consider it as an area where you know the service that you need to charge more for. It's you know it's implicit. It's built into built into what you do. Versus fund manager B, where maybe you know the ESG service is a premium service, and because the investment process is more complicated, um, and and you, you're charging for it. So, so you know, one level, you know, is ESG something that is is a is an add-on service that you charge for, or is it baked in? To everything you do, and it's and it's therefore doesn't show up as a separate as a separate charge. It's uh, uh, it's just it, yeah. Where where does it sit within the organisation in terms in terms of the of, of being a value proposition? That's an interesting concept. If actually asset managers are going to start charging fees for implementing, if you like, ESG considerations into their decision making process, but not 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 impossible. I suspect I'm, I'm sure you know better. My my other kind of concern has always been in that area of, around competence greenwashing, and until until last year, we didn't have anybody who knew anything about ESG, and suddenly I think we are finding ourselves this year where everybody knows. A lot about ESG. I'm I'm absolutely um, astounded, if you like, by the level of knowledge that people have acquired within the frame of a, of a year. Yeah. Between 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 the internet and, and Twitter, there's there's nothing you can't be an expert in uh, <laughs> these days. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I I I, I, I agree, um, and uh, I suspect the reality has been for a lot of a lot of C-suite, a lot of board members, and some of these organisations that you know they haven't necessarily been taking a closer look at just uh, uh, what exactly ESG means within the organization they're responsible for and I think as you say this is the year uh, where uh, where they need to uh, they need to get the grips with it and I guess the last question on that just because I'm sure lots of our listeners if you like would be interested in that but um, being more visionary and looking ahead what do you think is the need to have a, I don't know, chief sustainability officer or chief impact officer, whatever we want to call those people? Do you, do you think boards will likely get to a point where they appoint people in, in those roles? Well, so history tells us that um, organisations, and I don't just mean asset managers, but organisations go tend to go through a um, go through a phase of saying, well, this is just baked into everything we do. It's you know every Every person from 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 the guy in the print room through to the chief executive lives and breathes this, and we and we don't need therefore you know to 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 invest in uh, specific structure and specific individuals even to take responsibility for this. Um, uh, history tells us that tends to evolve over time, and and that in order to make a a real difference, yeah, you, you need to put some infrastructure in place. Um, now it's you know it's it's so so I think that will happen. I think the chief sustainability officer concept is is probably uh, is probably in our future now. Whether that whether what skills that individual has, how they mesh 
with investment managers, which are, you know, it's quite a technical, um, a t a technical activity, um, is, is, is going to be interesting to watch. But I, no, I, I do think that, that it, you, in order to make the changes that, that, that are necessary, you will see those kind of um, hierarchies being put in place. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And I, I think you're right. There are organisations who have already been on this CSG journey for quite a few years and indeed have been breathing and living this. And I think they probably are right to say that they don't need that. But I think for those just making a start on the journey, they will need a concerted effort. Yeah. OK, well, leaving ESG and IFPR aside for the moment, <laughs> <laughs> what, what other developments um, beyond these specific regulations are you envisaging we will see on the market in 2022? Consolidation, and that's not going to come as anyone as surprised to anyone who's listening to this. 2021, 2020, even um, were years of unprecedented levels of consolidation. Not just well, at all levels of the market, frankly, from from the medium-sized players, to the, some deals at the, 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 the sort of mega mega manager level of things, and obviously a lot of consolidation um, at the smaller end of the market, funded by you know a long list of private equity houses that that decided there's there's money to be made. Uh, by consolidating smaller managers and, and, and the, the wealth manager yeah, investment device um, component there. Um, so um, there is absolutely no reason to think that will slow down in 2022. In fact, um, I would envisage if you know, some of the things uh, that seem quite likely or quite plausible at this point around, um, uh, the profitability of managers, again, assuming that let's say we don't have, you know, historically high equity returns the way we've had in the last couple of years um, for longer actually um, uh, if we're into bear market territory then the profitability of investment managers frankly frankly we've had a lot of managers that have been able to post very good profits without really having to do much around their proposition without having to do very much around their cost base because the revenue top line has been has, has been high as, 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 as uh, market values have gone up so you throw that into reverse um, and uh, consolidation um, in, speeds up, I think. Um, I think there's a, a positioning for almost every manager about whether they are going to be a buyer or whether they're going to be bought. Um, and I think there's some, some organisations in the middle of the spectrum which could be either, frankly. They're big enough to be an enticing target. They're also big enough probably to, 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 to do further consolidation. And it's getting increasingly hard, I think, for them to justify ploughing an, an independent Forward, particularly, as I say, if profit margins are pushed down, if the continuing um, continuing aggressive approaches of some organisations towards driving down fee rates margins um, becomes, uh, well, <laughs> shows no sign of slowing down. I mean, some of that, of course, is the, the move to uh, the ever, ever, ever swinging pendulum towards more uh, passive um, investment funds, which obviously very low margin versus active management. But there's been peak compression in the active management space. Um, the argument, the intention of consolidators is in part to drive down fees further you know, by making savings based on scale. Um, so, yes, the, the, the combination of, of the amount of money going into the sector for the purposes of consolidation and, and the potential that some organisations will be less profitable facing lower margins means that consolidation just has to has to continue uh, uh the current base now does that reverse at some point you know at some point the priority funds may be less interested in throwing money into the sector but uh there's a big 
uh, war chests. Well, several large war chests sitting sitting around out there. So, so um, at least for the for the next twelve months, um, I would see um, consolidation continuing to be a major factor. And 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 I just probably just saying within that, you know, there are multiple multiple managers now that have that have landed on the idea that that vertical integration is the best play for long term profitability, by which I mean they're an asset manager, but if they can bolt on an investment platform, which is one of the key mechanisms by which by which they can get their product to, to market. Uh, with investors, they bolt on potentially wealth managers and investment advisors. Um, they've got a you know top to bottom vertical uh, supply chain and they can see we go um, make good money um, by controlling that 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 chain and um, that's probably true actually I think I think that probably is uh, a model that works has worked for some players for a little while um, but it's becoming a very crowded space uh, you know when you uh, when you realize the number of different organizations large organizations that have that as their strategic goal you start to inevitably wonder how many of them can actually succeed how how, how many such very large vertically integrated players can the market can the market cope with so um that that's i think one for you know 2023 onwards potentially but for 2022 at least um we're going to see that that consolidation process uh continue yeah sounds like a trend that is here to stay for now and and sounds as you say that it's probably going to go beyond 2022 but yeah further discussions to be had on that um, have there been any developments in the sector in in the end of 2022 or 2021 sorry or in the last six months in general that have surprised you is is that going and if so how is that going to impact 2022 yeah i think um um I mean, a lot been going on in the world um but actually i think in many, in some ways the most maybe i shouldn't have been surprised but <laughs> the one of the most surprising things for me um, has, has come from regulatory intervention in, in the sector. Um, uh, so if anyone listening to this that works for an investment manager that has a fund range, you know, you have funds that you distribute to retail investors will be aware that uh, the FCA uh, a couple of years ago introduced an assessment of value requirement. Um, and so you need to conduct and publish uh, a, a fairly comprehensive assessment of why you believe you are providing value for money well, and value in other dimensions to value, valuable service um, to your investors. Um, and it's you know, intended to, to force managers to think about whether or not they're you know, doing things like passing on economies of scale and char charging a fair price essentially for, for their services. Um, and the FCA, uh, I say 18 months or so into this new regulation, uh, middle of last year, produced a thematic feedback um, paper. So based on the, the, the reviewing the work, uh, the assessments of value of a number of managers, and um, they've made it very clear through that that they think that um, one of the requirements of an assessment of value, which is that you consider you consider whether the price you're charging is representative of the cost of actually delivering that service, um, that that requirement is not something you get to by uh, yeah. Of consideration of maybe what, what peer groups your competitors are charging, not uh, not by consideration of what uh, what people seem to prepare to pay. Um, that actually you need to base those assessments on a pretty 
clear understanding of what your own cost space is in relation to the service you're providing. So if you're going to charge, yeah, 75 bips, 100 bips as a, as, a, as a management charge to customers, you need to understand what that, what the cost uh, as a manager, what the cost of providing that service is. Um, and uh, that maybe, you know, at a conceptual level, sounds pretty straightforward. Um, and, and certainly, you know, get back the first 18 months of this regulation, I think I think a lot of organisations took it as a sort of a fairly broad brush in, indicative kind of get a sense for, but not necessarily be too precise. Uh, uh, but the thematic feedback, I think, has really made it clear that, that, they, that the regulator expects organisations to really understand and have a strong um, objective basis for, 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 for measuring their actual costs to providing the service. And when you are talking about potentially a complex business that is servicing a hundred, a thousand different funds, and actually potentially on a cross-border basis across multiple entities in the group, you, you, you very quickly get into quite a challenging and high um, effort um, scenario of actually computing what the underlying cost is. So uh, I know this is probably a, quite a, a narrow, geeky point, um, and it doesn't apply to all managers, but it will apply to those with, with retail, retail funds. Um, it, it's got the potential to be a, a major industry for managers in the coming year or two to to conform to FCA expectations. And you can have a debate about whether it's a, the right thing to do, whether it's actually serving a necessary purpose or not. But I think we, it's pretty clear at this point that uh, fund managers are going to have to do this. And um, uh, it, it's a significant moving of the bar. That's that's what you asked. Was I surprised by anything? Yes, I was somewhat surprised by how how far the bar had moved on that particular point and, and just what level of effort is going to be required of firms to, to show they can they can meet that raised bar. A lot to digest already, given what we've spoken about <laughs> today for, for, for the investment management industry. I guess finally, if you were the CEO, for example, of a large asset manager, what would you be thinking about beyond all these regulatory developments we talked about and um, beyond you know plans around implementing changes? Um, yes, uh, well, so we're recording this on a Monday and uh, also I, I got to you know, sit back and read the papers and watch the news a bit over the weekend. Um, so it may, this may seem a startlingly obvious thing to, 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 to any listener, but um, political risk, political risk is back. And um, I know we had you know, Brexit uncertainty, referendum, pre-referendum, post-referendum, so the, 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 the Political risk has never gone away. Um, there's always been something to, uh, to 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 focus the minds of um, investment managers. But um, arguably, we're entering a phase of political risk, political uncertainty that we've not seen for a long time. I reckon. The fact is, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's what's going on in Central Europe, whether it's you know, increasing friction with China, um, the risk. <clears throat> that carefully honed business strategies, let alone investment management strategies, but the entire business strategies could get derailed by, um, you know, sweeping political, geopolitical changes is 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 higher probably than it's been for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> probably we could probably all agree on that. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, if I'm the CEO, I'm, I, is my organisation? Am I spending enough time thinking about the political risk? 
and about the kind of strategies I might want to undertake to, to mitigate that, at least prepare prepare for, for, for some of the scenarios that, that are potentially um, in our future. Um, so yes, political risk is back in fashion. Um, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that's a good thing. I'm just suggesting it's a, it is a thing. Um, um, and, and so, yes. And you just painted probably even more challenging and complex <laughs> picture. <laughs> no, I'm, well, I'm, uh, no, I'm, I'm a stupid optimist, as you know, so, uh, but uh, equally, you, you can't, you can't look at some of the possible scenarios and, 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 and ignore them entirely. You have to, I think, um, start to, start, start to assess what they might mean for your organisation and how you can best position yourself. But we shall see, we shall see. Well, David, thank you very much for this conversation as is, as insightful as ever. And I hope our listeners find found it really helpful too. And I hope um, you tune in to the other episodes of this series where we discuss banking, insurance and capital markets as well. So thank you very much. And thank you very much to our listeners. You can also sign up to the Financial Services Regulator newsletter to receive weekly updates and invites into your inbox. And to stay up to date with the upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. Thank you again and goodbye.